Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast. I'm your host, Saritha Viswasam. Thanks for joining us. Today's edition is the first of a two-part series focusing on criminal activity taking place on farms across Victoria. In part one, we discuss this important issue with Dr. Alistair Harkness, Rural Criminologist and Senior Lecturer of Criminology at the University of New England. Dr. Harkness has been involved with the study of rural criminology on both a local and international scale and is a member of the International Society for the Study of Rural Crime. We'll learn about the types of crime taking place on Victorian farms, the motives of criminals, steps of prevention that can be made, and how to solve a rural crime. Before we get going, hit the follow or subscribe button on your podcast player to keep up to date with all future Crime Stoppers Victoria podcasts. Hope you enjoy the discussion. It's great to have you on the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast, Dr. Harkness. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks very much, Aretha, and it's a great pleasure to be with you today. It would be great, firstly, to get an idea of your background, in particular with farm crime activity and prevention. Uh, certainly. Um, um, my name's uh, Alistair Harkness. I'm a senior lecturer at the uh, University of New England in Armidale, New South Wales. I've just recently joined the university, and particularly the Centre for Rural Criminology there. Previously, I was at... Uh, uh, Federation University in Gippsland in, uh, in Victoria, and it was there that I started uh, um, uh, an ongoing suite of research into farm crime specifically, rural crime more generally, trying to get to the to the nub of what are they, what are the issues, what are the ways that we can, uh, what ways can we do things better in preventing crime, particularly, uh, and addressing the causes of the crime too. Fantastic. You've released a publication this year. What can you say about the details of that? So we have a, a, a book. It's an edited collection, a, a book that I've edited with quite a large number of academics, but importantly as well, uh, practitioners, 
people who are actually involved as police officers, as farmers, as people out there in the uh, out there in the community at the sharp end, at the pointy end, um, providing not only the scholarship but some of the practical ways that we can go about preventing crime. It's really important that we we know it's one thing to think about the causes of crime and responding to crime. It's another thing altogether to try to prevent it from crime, crime from happening in the first place. Prevention is better than cure. So this book is really around um, an international investigation of lots of different crime types in lots of different places and what is the world's best practice. That's great. Well, I'm sure not only readers from Victoria, but readers internationally would find it very useful. The issue of rural crime, it's not an issue that is only held within Victoria or Australia, it's actually international. It's certainly international and and there's been a number of scholars who have come together to form an international society for the study of rural crime, ISROC as it's called, ISSRC.net. And uh, it's been established to coalesce all of those people who have an interest in, in studying rural crime around the world, all those people not just with an interest in looking at these things conceptually, but really importantly, working with practitioners, working with people in the field to determine ways that we can tackle these things better. And I think this gets to the, the nub of one of the key issues, and that has been that for several hundred hundred years, crime has been seen as a predominantly urban phenomenon. So since the Industrial Revolution, we can cut in mind all the way back then, we saw this migration of people from rural areas with agrarian backgrounds into the big new burgeoning cities which required lots of labour. And we saw crime occurring in the streets. And from that point onwards, we've had this romantic notion of the countryside or the rural, those spaces outside of the big cities as being safe and crime-free and all the crime happening in urban environments. But we know that crime happens anywhere and everywhere and all the time. And where there's an opportunity, um, uh, somebody with um, a desire to offend will take that opportunity up. And so we really do need to dispel this myth, this notion that there is such a thing as a rural idyll. We know that crime occurs all the time, but there are uh, an array of complexities that we can chat about over the next little while about uh, what, what those complexities are and how we might tackle them. Yes, certainly. Well, let's um, start off by giving some sort of definition to rural farm crime and and, and seeing where we go from there. Certainly. So um, crimes that happen in rural spaces can be the same as those that happen in urban spaces. So homicide is not an urban phenomenon. It's not a rural phenomenon that will happen uh, anywhere. Um, Breaking and and entering, uh, stealing... um, it's the types of things, of course, which are stolen, and some of the issues around uh, crime prevention as well stand rural settings apart. So, for instance, uh, in a suburban area in the middle of Melbourne or the middle of Sydney, you're very unlikely to see the theft of livestock. You're going to see those uh, the thefts of livestock happening uh, on farms. So there's some uniquely um, unique characteristics about some of the types of crimes that will happen in uh, in rural settings. But there are all those other other crimes that will happen all the time as well. When we're thinking about rural crime or rural offending, um, we generally are are leaning towards some of those things that are very specifically uh, rural. So things like livestock theft, theft of machinery, thefts of equipment that are used in agriculture. 
So perhaps we can think as well about some of the reasons why farms in particular are vulnerable to theft. And we can probably consider these in three broad categories. There's those sort of social demographic factors um, that, oh, she'll be right mentality. She'll be okay. It'll it'll all turn out okay. Um, We've got uh, some of the issues around changing populations or unstable populations. We've got um, faster... um, Road movements, yeah, be better roads, bigger roads, double the size roads, and so travel times between urban settings and rural settings are, are lessened now compared with, say, 30, 40, 50 years ago, which means access and egress from rural areas is easier for people who are going about normal law-abiding business, but also importantly as well for those who have um, non-law-abiding aims and objectives as well. So we've got some of those those issues as well. Um, perpetrators have become a bit more organised. Um, technology plays a role here. Some of those geographic factors and evidence factors. Properties are easy to access. Um, there are multiple entry and exit points. Um, oftentimes there's a question as to whether a crime has actually been committed. So some of those evidence-related uh, uh, issues which uh, make farms a bit more vulnerable. And of course there are some of their crime prevention behaviours that may or may not be uh, engaged in. So um, only counting livestock irregularly. So there might be three months between uh, counting a, you know, um, you know, all the sheep and 10 or 15 are missing. The count's down a little bit. The farmer can't be 100% sure whether they've uh, been stolen or whether they've escaped through a gap in a fence or can't can't be uh, at all certain as to what has occurred, so is unlikely to report it. Uh, and machinery being left near roadsides, keys left in ignitions, those sorts of things make uh, make farms and the and the items upon farms a bit more vulnerable. So, in terms of it being a target for criminals, it does present certain opportunities that other businesses wouldn't really be uh, exposed to. Well, yeah, and there is a two important words targeted and opportunistic. So um, there will be occasions where organised criminal elements or networks, gangs, will specifically target farms for what is on them. And a good example of this would be firearms. Every every farm requires, um, or most farms will require firearms, whether they're rifles or shotguns, for as a tool of the a tool of the trade to take care of vermin to put down. Uh, dying animals and, and so on and so forth. But that makes their farms a target as well from um, organised criminal networks who will target them knowing that the firearms exist there. There might be other other um, criminal networks who will target farms specifically for a particular item of machinery for which they know they have a buyer, whether it's uh, within the state or even uh, interstate. So there's those targeted offences. And then, of course, there's the opportunistic ones. So where there might be a, a visit to a local community or an employee or somebody else in the local community who just sees something lying around, has a bit of a cast around, make that judgment and that assessment, am I being observed? Uh, if the answer is no, we'll just uh, pocket it just for, um, for, uh, for profit rather than for any other purpose. So with that, uh, as far as the ability to track the thefts to criminals, could you say that given that the, the market of, um, of buyers for the particular type of uh, uh, items that are stolen, 
is smaller than, say, other forms of business, would you say that criminals are easier to be tracked? Easier to be tracked? Um, no, not necessarily. Uh, the criminals will have a... One of the key aspects of, of farm crime and farm-related offences is that the offenders generally have some acquired industry knowledge. So they'll know what they're stealing and how to steal it, and importantly as well, where they can offload the stolen goods as quickly as possible. So I'll give you a you know, return to that example of, um, of sheep thefts. I visited a, a farm a number of years ago up in Seymour, and the farmer showed me just how easy it is to, uh, to peel off 20 sheep out of a, of a mob of 500 um, with a dog just by whistling and run them up into, say, a, um, a trailer or a horse float and be gone in 60 seconds. Very, very easy. Of course, you need to have that, uh, that acquired industry knowledge, that real knowledge, how to use the working dog, where are you going to store them, where, how are you going to offload the, um, the things that you've stolen as quickly as you can so you're not going to be found with the stolen items in your possession. So there is a degree of industry knowledge and, uh, and a lot of um, items, uh, a lot of the, the criminal activity will go unseen and unreported importantly too yeah so i guess for um in this case of livestock given they've got so many uh sheep or or, or other animals uh on their property there might be that level of when the farmer goes out into the yard and has a look they might not notice that big of a difference so they could get away with stealing say 10 sheep oh that's exactly right so if you're like 300 500 000 sheep are you going to, just by visual eyesight alone, notice that 10 are gone? Quite unlikely. It's only when you bring them, master them to, um, to shear them or drench them or to count them or to do any, any other things, and that might only happen four or five times a year. A number of months might have gone by, gone by since the event took place. Any chance of there being tyre tracks or any other evidence is well and truly gone. Um, there are, you, the farmer might go around and check all the fences. No, there are no gaps in the fences. See if there's any remnants, carcasses, whether a wild dog has taken any. You can't find anything. And it may well be that the next door neighbour has taken them to put them in their own freezer. Um, and of course, that, that raises a whole range of other sociological issues as well, because a lot of farmers will say, well, I don't report the theft because I'm, I'm pretty sure that the neighbour took them, but I have to live next to this person. So I'm not going to. Um, I'm not going to report it, or um, they solve it themselves informally, you know, almost like um, informal vigilantism. So it might be um, ignoring that person, or um, or just uh, or just bad mouthing them to others in the local community. Um, sometimes people will be fearful of revenge, which is another reason why they might not uh, not might not report. And importantly, too, some of the concerns that we've had. Uh, up until fairly recently around concerns about whether the police would take it seriously. Uh, was there any point, is there any point in uh, reporting it if it's not going to be taken seriously? And so there's a whole range of um, measures and initiatives that could be implemented and considered to, uh, to try to build those bridges between local people and rural communities and the police that uh, service those communities as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, as far as uh, policing this type of crime what in your uh, involvement with um this industry what would you say is um are challenges that the police may have in being able to really um control this form of behavior one of the biggest challenges uh, pro probably the biggest challenge is 
is uh, encouraging farmers and rural people to report crimes that are happening because it's, uh, it's very hard to conduct an investigation if you don't know that the crime has occurred in the first place. It's the, uh, the first step in order to do an investigation to know that there's something to investigate. And overcoming some of those, um, those intertwined issues around non-reporting uh, is, is quite challenging. So if the police have even some partial information, uh, some camera footage, some, uh, an identification of a, even a make and a model or a partial number plate of a vehicle, uh, if somebody has been acting suspiciously, have that reported, reporting all the crimes that occur, then they can actually conduct that investigation. And there's a stronger likelihood then that we are, there's the potential for a positive outcome, which again builds that bridge or lessens that divide, if you like, between uh, the, the farmers at the farmer and, uh, and the police, which, which in itself has been a problem. What we've seen in, in here in Victoria is uh, back in 2011, the establishment of the Agricultural Liaison Officers, just recently um, uh, renamed as the Farm Crime Officers. And they are mostly general duties um, police officers or detectives who have already some acquired knowledge of, of farming. And their role is as much about educating um, local communities as it is about doing the investigations. Other states have different models. So up in New South Wales and in Queensland, they have um, dedicated rural crime investigators. So full-time uh, squad, if you like, of people who will spend their time visiting uh, local communities, uh, talking about the importance of crime prevention, uh, talking about the importance of, um, of reporting and also doing all the investigative work and follow-up work as well. So a number of different models around the different states and around the, around the world as well. Yeah, well, Victoria Police introduced their farm crime division late last year at the Melbourne show. And what can you say as far as their um, strategy to curtail this level, this type of criminal activity? Uh, in the in the study, in the research that I that I um, undertook uh, over the last couple of years, those people who had had an interaction with an agricultural liaison officer, as they were known at the time, those people who had had interaction with an aglo uh, were much more satisfied with the service they received from uh, the police than those who hadn't. So it really demonstrated and underscored the importance of having uh, um, specialist farm crime agricultural uh, officers uh, out in the communities and doing that important work of um, of uh, taking uh, taking reports and concerns seriously, acting upon them, and striving as hard as possible to get uh, get results. Uh, one thing that might be considered into the future here in Victoria is whether they could become full time uh, in those roles rather than uh, having this uh, as one of a number of different duties, as they do in other states such as in Queensland and in New South Wales, where this is the only thing that those particular officers have to do. So it's something for future consideration here. In terms of the nature of farm crime, given that with those type of uh, environment, these properties are located on country roads where people are passing through uh, from one part of the state to potentially another. Would you say that given that being the case, there is that ability to get away with this type of crime? Oh, absolutely. And, um, and, and a lot of times that uh, those movements might well go unnoticed and the offending might be happening as they go. I mean, I was uh, at um, 
at a few dairy farms just a couple of years ago in the in the Warrnambool area. And uh, a lot of those farms, you know, they might have 150 or 200 uh, dairy cattle on them. And it's the farmer and maybe a family member, but not that many eyes and ears around. And they're very busy doing uh, the farming work. They're not necessarily observing some of those um, irregular or unusual you know, traffic movements. Um, and when they do, uh, it's important that uh, that that get uh, that get noted for uh, for future reference or for passing on to the police if there are some um, criminal activities. I think this really gets to one of the key issues around crime prevention, and uh, and in the in the, the scholarship around crime prevention, we talk about um, uh, what we refer to as capable guardianship. So this is about um, you know recognizing uh, that risk reward. Um, Dichotomy, or that uh, that rationalisation that uh, that people make before they offend. Most most people will. Am I likely to get caught? You know, what are the chances are? If they're low, I can do the offending. Is there a, is there a risk? If it's if it's considered to be low, I won't do it. If it's uh, if it's high, might go and find a property that's uh, a softer target. Um, is there a reward in doing this? Uh, yes, if there's a um, you know ten sheep that I can put into my uh, into the back back trailer, into a horse float behind my car, and I know that they're worth a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars each. That's and I know that I can offload them. That's easy money. Whether it's tools that you can sell to another farmer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So capable guardianship is about people being less likely to do that offending if they think they are going to be watched or if there's the risk that they're going to be caught. Um, in urban settings, we have a lot of CCTV cameras around uh, around our major cities. Uh, we'll have lots of people moving around. Well, we did up until uh, um, uh, up until the virus, and hopefully we do have a lot of people milling around again in the not-too-distant future. Uh, but that's less so in those those rural areas. And this is where increasingly farmers are being encouraged to, quite importantly, to implement uh, electronic means of providing a degree of surveillance. So putting motion-activated cameras up on entry and exit points uh, on or near uh, sheds and outbuildings so that uh, footage can be obtained of, uh, of any offending behaviour. There's evidence that can be uh, produced and presented to the police and it makes that, uh, that job so much easier in doing the investigations, swinging about um, prosecutions too. Yeah, for sure. Well, it would be uh, really helpful, I guess, for uh, all, all farm owners to do that if possible. As far as trends in this space have uh, that you've noticed emerge are there any particular types of farm crime activity that have really spiked in recent years uh, uh quad bikes are always have always been now uh, have been quite popular over the last uh, five or six years they're maneuverable you can put them into a back of a ute or a trailer you can offload them reasonably quickly um, livestock, of course, firearms as well, uh, particularly since the um, uh, since the uh, enormous tightening of gun laws back in 1996 after the horrific incident in Port Arthur. Um, the importation of uh, of firearms was obviously curtailed. Uh, farms are a source of firearms; they have them on their on the premises, and so they will be targeted. So, farms as a as a as a place where firearms might be located, uh, obviously being targeted. But really, it, it, you know, for many of those opportunistic thefts, it just depends on um, a farmer's ability to implement crime prevention measures as opposed to the ones that don't. So if they're a soft target, 
they're much more likely to be offended against. And another key point as well is around uh, repeat victimisation. And there was a, a great anecdote that was shared with me a number of uh, a number of years ago out in the western the western side of Victoria. A farmer comes into the police station and and says, uh, "Oh, look, I've just had a whole heap of stuff taken out of my shed." And the police officer says, uh, "Well, was the shed locked?" He said, "No, I haven't, I haven't locked the shed all my life. My dad never locked the shed. Uh, my granddad never locked the shed. We've never had anything stolen." She said, "Oh, mate, you need to go back and you lock it up tonight because there's a." They now know what's in there, what they couldn't take out the first night. They'll come back and do it again. They'll try anyway. Make sure you lock it up. Farmer comes back in the next day. He says, ah, oh, you wouldn't believe it. They, they've come and knocked, knocked off all my stuff again. I said, well, we do believe it because we told you that this isn't quite likely to happen. A couple of days go by and, and they hadn't seen me. Oh, thank goodness he's probably locked his shed. You know, three days later, he comes back in and says, ah, oh, they've taken the last of my stuff. I said, what happened? Oh, well, nothing got stolen for the last couple of days. I thought she'll be right. And... Uh, <laughs> And I didn't lock my shed and they've come and taken the last of my stuff. So there you go. It's just important to change those behaviours. What happens in the 21st century is not necessarily the same as has happened 40 or 50 years ago. So the behaviours that we implemented um, last century, we need to modify and change this century to take into account some of those changing demographics. The ease of access in and out of uh, rural communities, the speed in which people can can um, get in and get out of out of communities. Um, the sea changes and the tree changes. Who might have um, hobby farms and they'll they'll come in you know, every every second weekend or once a once a month. Uh, um, uh, all of those issues are, are quite starkly different from uh, from yesteryear. Okay, well, yeah, that, that's um, interesting to note with the farm owners as far as their safety on their properties. Does farm crime activity cause an issue with them and potentially drive them out of the industry? Um, I don't have any research to suggest that crime has a direct, there's a direct correlation between the crimes occurring and people being driven out of the industry. But what we do know is that it will increase people's fear of, of crime and therefore have impacts on both their physical and mental health. Um, we need to constantly remind ourselves that um, farms are not only businesses, but they're also people's residences too. The family home is, is you know, more often than not on the uh, on the farm. And so, when somebody comes in, uh, comes uh, across a farm, they're actually uh, coming across a person's uh, place of residence as well as the place of business. So yes, it uh, most certainly does have an impact on on people and their perceptions of crime, their fear of crime. And uh, and that in turn has an impact on people's well-being. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of the firearm theft, uh, have you noticed any instances where there has been a, a real link between uh, using rural properties as uh, a place to obtain illegal firearms for illegal activities? Yeah. So here is a. A perfect example of where there is a direct link between what happens in a rural space and then what happened and then crime that happens in an urban environment. So uh, it is um, it is quite typical that uh, firearms stolen from a farm setting uh, will be sawn off and then on sold into urban environments for criminals to conduct their business in in urban areas. Um, it's a it's a source of the firearms and there's a market for it in. Um, in urbanised areas, so yeah, direct direct linkage between what happens in one place and what happens in another, which might not necessarily have been the case you know, fifty odd years ago.
Mm. And with um, farm owners having firearms on their properties, as have you noticed any um, instances where the farm owners have used the firearms in defence? Uh, not, not in Victoria. That hasn't. Uh, I'm not aware of any recent uh, examples of that. And and you know, almost universally, farmers are uh, you know very compliant and very. Uh, um, you know, onerous in uh, in uh, complying with all the responsibilities that uh, that are required for gun owners. Mm, okay, and and with uh, farm crime activity, I noticed that with the vegan activism and and activity associated with farm properties, has there is that is that a measure of farm crime that you have noticed increase in recent times? Uh, this is something that myself and some colleagues are about to embark upon some further research around not only uh, trespass of activists onto farms, but also uh, illegal shooting that happens on farms. A colleague uh, from the University of uh, New England, now retired, um, Professor uh, Elaine Barclay, did some, some research on this just a number of, just a, a few years ago and noticed that it was a, a burgeoning issue in New South Wales where illegal shooters and hunters would go across uh, across properties, cause a lot of damage as they were, as she referred to it, engaging in the uh, the illegal, oh, sorry, the the feral pig shooting craze, uh, which was a which was a problem. It's not just that people are trespassing across properties, but it's the damage that's done. So a campfire will be lit on on private property and not extinguished property properly. Um, they might. Um, now, instead of going around a paddock, go across it and destroy the paddock and uh, destroy fences. Uh, perhaps uh, you know, get on the turps and take pot shots at the beehive or at a shed and just cause uh, cause damage. Some of the issues around the the activism as well is is it gets back to that sense of this is our this is our livelihood for a farmer and this is our properties and people coming unannounced onto their properties will cause if not um, actual harm, then uh, harm through uh, fear and concern about unknown people just um, traipsing around their property. So there are a lot of impacts, of course. We're going to be doing a little bit more research on that uh, over the course of this year and next. And perhaps a, perhaps a subject for the next podcast. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that that would be <laughs> real fascinating to explore. With residents, I know you, you've gone into um, really good uh, examples of, of how farm owners and, and residents in rural properties can protect themselves from being a victim. Is there anything else that you'd like to um, uh, suggest in terms of what are some practical ways that um, this can be done, say, in an immediate sense? Sure. And, and there's a lot of things that can be done at no cost whatsoever, other than perhaps a little bit of additional time. So first and foremost, locking locking dwellings, buildings, any other structures on the farm, locking vehicles, um, perhaps um, erecting some warning signage around the property that the farm is uh, protected by video surveillance. Better still, actually install some of that. The cost of um, of high resolution motion activated cameras has come down enormously over recent years. You know you. You know things are affordable when you open up the Aldi catalogue and you see them selling <laughs> these sorts of things in the special buys. So uh, there are much more sophisticated ones that are still quite affordable 
at um, professional um, uh, suppliers as well. So they're really important because they and and located strategically on the farm at exit and entry points around um, buildings and outbuildings. Really, really important. There was a great example a couple of years ago up in the up in central Victoria, just uh, a little outside of um, outside of a Bendigo where. A farmer was suspecting that um, somebody was coming in and knocking off um, bales of hay, so he um, he installed some cameras and sure enough, um, you know, just watched over over a number of days. You know, I think it was an employee or an ex-employee loading up a loading up the ute and just taking as much hay as he could each time. Um, so it managed to get picture perfect uh, imagery and uh, and the local agriculture officer knocked on his door and you know found all the hay in his property. So. Uh, that's a, a good example of that. Uh, storing machinery out of sight, not leaving things that are easily uh, accessed. Um, installing tracking devices on on any movable item. Of course, uh, the deterrence of a watchdog. Um, uh, perhaps implementing ditches and mounding at perimeters at points where you think that people might illegally come across the property. So you don't want to have them break through a fence, be able to drive into the paddock uh, and steal. And to be able to get out, if you have a have a ditch there, it's, um, they're not going to be able to get even a four wheel drive through it. So just mm. some some simple ideas, technological ones. Uh, the other important thing, and I referenced this earlier, is that that notion of capable guardianship. So it's making sure that um, a farmer and their family and employees and neighbours are vigilant and alert. So again, getting back to that. Um, anything that's unusual, um, noting it down, reporting it as required. Um, having farms look occupied, even if they're uh, even if they're not having a permanent or even a random presence around the farm. So lots of lots of simple measures, which again gets back to that crime prevention 101 that I discussed earlier, where you want to make the offender think that it's too risky uh, to do the offending, or there's not going to be any any reward. So property marking is another great example. Like it's difficult to offload a an item of equipment if it's easily and readily identified. The challenge that we have, the challenge that we have here, of course, is that uh, uh, a lot of farm equipment uh, looks alike. So think of the John Deere tractor; they're all uh, all the same colour. In fact, they're all keyed alike, and uh, have up to recently uh, in the in the UK um, they've changed this, and there's an onus on manufacturers to actually key them differently. But this is great, another great anecdote that I that I recall uh, being shared with me, and it and it centred on a uh, on a hobby farmer who bought a property, and uh, and uh, with the property came a second hand tractor, but it had no no key. So he dutifully writes down all the uh, all the serial numbers and the registration details, everything that he could possibly find, and goes down to the local John Deere um, tractor dealership in the in the in the town goes up to the counter and says to the bloke behind there, look, these are all the details. I need a key that fits as it possible. And the bloke behind the counter points to a shoebox at the end of the counter and says, yeah, help yourself to one. <laughs> They're all keyed alike. So uh, one, um, one key will start any, uh, any John Deere tractor. That is a challenge. We don't expect that in our, um, mm. in our vehicles that we'll drive around, our, our registered vehicles. I don't think that we should expect that in our farm equipment either. And um, I think that's uh, an opportunity for... Um, change and reform too, to make sure that at point of sale, um, machinery is got built-in crime prevention measures from the project. So the onus is not on the farmer, 
down the track to do that prevention as much as it is about making sure that we've put in place as many barriers to theft uh, from the get-go. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, that's good um, Good to be aware of. With uh, the community and their ability to assist in, in, in also preventing and, and stopping this crime taking place, what advice can you give to residents, say, in rural towns, uh, even if they're not living on a farm, but those in the community, how they can assist in, in, in playing a role in stopping or preventing crime? Um, well, I think it's, uh, it's similar advice for, uh, for different settings. It's about making sure that, uh, that property is locked, that, uh, that people are, are vigilant about anything suspicious, that uh, all crimes are reported, um, that, uh, um, that all those different crime prevention measures are, uh, are implemented, whether you're living on a, on a quarter-acre block in a town or if you're on a 200-acre uh, farm. It, uh, it doesn't matter. The, the principles remain the same. And with reporting crime, what can you say to those who are listening who may feel a bit uncomfortable in reporting anything that they know to consider to actually do so? Uh, well, there are, there are two key ways that people can report crime. They can report directly to the police. So in an emergency situation, if it's an emergency um, an emergency only, then triple O, of course. Uh, they can go and visit a police station. They can contact the agricultural liaison officers. If they don't want to be identified, they're fearful of revenge, or they, they just don't want uh, people in the local area, then Crime Stoppers is the number one place to go. Uh, ring Crime Stoppers, report that anonymously. Uh, that information will be passed on to police, and, uh, and that person's identity can remain anonymous, but importantly, it has been reported. So Crime Stoppers is a key, uh, plays a key role in our, in our Victorian society, indeed around the country and around the world. Um, very vitally important service that is, uh, that is offered to make our communities safer and uh, the residents in our communities uh, safer as well. And yeah, that's great you mentioned that. And in your experience with this type of criminal activity uh, analysis, would you say that there is a bit of uh, hesitation from residents to report this information? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that that hesitation or that um, um, consternation, if you like, as well, about reporting um, uh, it, it can be manifested in a number of different ways. So I think I might have uh, said earlier that, that, and particularly thinking about summers, but it could be other people in, in different settings within rural communities, I believe the police won't, won't be able to do anything. That, you know, those issues around evidence, too much time has passed. Oh, I can't be 100% sure if it got stolen or not. I might not be able to prove ownership of the stolen property. Uh, so I better not report it. Um, uh, a feeling that the crime's not serious enough to report. Uh, it'd be um, uh, you know, issues around fear of revenge or the offender is known and things are then dealt with informally rather than through the formal processes of the, the criminal justice system. So there's a range of different reasons why people might be reluctant to report uh, and that, uh, again, uh, underscores the, the importance of an organisation like Crime Stoppers where people can make those reports and know that they will not uh, will not be identified. 
Excellent. Yeah, we certainly uh, hope that everyone who's listening to this podcast, yeah, takes those comments and uh, advice on board. So uh, we really appreciate your time here today, Alistair. It's terrific to have you uh, on our podcast, and we really uh, appreciate your time here today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much as well. Terrific to speak with Dr. Alistair Harkness on farm crime and how residents in rural communities can work to help prevent this form of activity taking place across the state. You can follow Alistair on Twitter with his handle at A Harkness. We've hoped you've enjoyed part one of our farm crime discussion. Up next is part two, where we have a group conversation with three Victorian farmers to hear how they manage this challenge firsthand. Thanks for listening to the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.